Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion. I'm your host, Steph Silver, owner of Vine Collective, a branding and transformational coaching agency that helps organizations and individuals to clarify vision and rise to the next level. Today's guest is John Robertson. Inspired and driven by his values, John acts as a facilitator, coach, and guide for his clients as they test, discover, and expand what they can do. He uses concrete, verifiable processes to help them achieve demonstrable solution-focused results. Remaining faithful to his passions, he provides spirit-filled, insightful guidance that his clients use to amplify their lives and their businesses. John truly provides leadership people can follow through storms. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Thank you, Steph. And it's my honor to be here. And I look forward to supporting you and your listeners. So thank you. Thank you. We have a lot to talk about today. First, though, let's learn a little bit about you. Tell us about yourself before you were doing what you're doing now. Feels like my family, if you Google antonym of Hallmark, we are more like Griswold's and Chevy Chase kind of theme. If it's going to go wrong, it will. And just in a really lighthearted way, we just had a friend over. He and his son came over and he said, I still remember asking when you guys take your summer holidays. And I said, John, I remember that too. And I remember asking, why are you asking when we are taking ours? His focus was because we need to know what weeks not to take off this summer because ours would be the monsoons or the rains or all the other stuff. And I got into this work because it's a lived experience. And one of the things that's always driven me nuts is why do we treat people who get a psychological, emotional, spiritual, moral Charlie horse like there's something wrong with them or they're broken? So, for example, passion. A lot of times people consider it something that rah, rah, go, go, you can do it. Instead of what it is, it's that fire in the bones. What are the things we really care about? So I ended up 100 years ago going to university to be a doctor and realized an MD and I realized this is not how I'm wired. So through that process, I started to clarify, okay, John, what do you care about? What do you want to do? And one of the things that I've discovered through 30 plus years of doing this work, yes, I started when I was 12, is I love helping people figure out why does that matter for you? Why is that important for you? What does success mean for you? And then not being one of those people on shore saying swim harder or paddle harder, being one of those people in the boat saying, even with the boat with a leak, saying, now this is exciting. Let's row. So I've done it as a clergy pastor. Some people call it a minister. I've done it for crisis response, for employee assistance programs. I've done it through a first responder organization that I was an employee of. And in a complete assortment of those kinds of mosaics so that people would say, stop treating ill and start helping people figure out what matters to them. What does finishing well mean? That's all fascinating. And I agree with you completely on all of that. And those are my mindsets and mantras as well. But how do you coach people through when they're in the middle of it? Because 
it's one thing, and I've been through this and my family's beyond the Griswolds. We were intense and I'm actually working on a book about it because it's that funny and crazy. But I've been through all the challenges and I know that I can get through them and same with looking at everybody else. But when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to say, wow, this is really exciting and great. This is the stuff that life is made of as opposed to letting that panic response happen or that fear. And then we know that the fear and the panic pulls you back instead of forward. So how do you kind of coach yourself through that? Or how do you coach your clients through that when they're in the middle of realizing the boat just sprang a leak or they hit the glacier? couple things in that. First of all, many times people think that fear is a negative. The problem of fear is it's a normal response by a normal person to an abnormal situation. So therefore, the first thing that we have to do is help people understand, yeah, the problem you've got right now is it sucks to be human because you're normal. And therefore, if you find a cure to being normal, I don't want to know what it is. So reframe that initial, whatever you want to call that pucker moment, that initial tense up. Second is people in crisis cannot think long-term. It's physiologically impossible. And so therefore, help them to stop worrying about long-term and, okay, what's one step you can do by this afternoon or by tomorrow morning? Slow things down because people who are stressed in fear-based thinking, like a drowning person, they start grabbing anything that is around them they usually make things worse. So first, help them understand normal human, normal reaction, abnormal events. Second, slow things down and get that encourager to come alongside to say, okay, what's one thing you can focus on doing? Now, the way I teach that is what I call sweat, flush, fill, and rest. So the things that a person can do in the moment is sweat, physical activity, flush, healthy fluids, Fill is nutrition, stomach, but also fill is head. What are we doing with our mindset, with our thinking? Like if I'm watching more news, my fill is not going to be positive or encouraging. And then the rest is the formula is kind of recreation, the recreating, envisioning, which is the goal setting. Sleep does not mean closing one's eyes and REM during crisis. And then Thanksgiving naming what we're thankful for. Then once those are in place, then we move into what's a longer term goal. What have we learned through this valley of chaos? And part of what happens in it is, and you've already perfectly articulated this, Steph, you described it as, I know I can get through this because I have been through something like this. That's what I call faith. Every time we get on a plane, we have faith. What impacts us is when planes don't work properly and either don't take off, don't land, and so forth. Our faith gets a wallop, psychological charley horse. We get on the highway. And so one of the things that we have to help people do is start normalizing their normal reactions and stop. I don't know. Steph, did you ever play sports? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you ever get a physical Charlie horse? Oh, yes. And you remember those, and I'm saying it with huge tongue-in-cheek, huge sarcasm. Do you remember those loving coaches that would say the stupid things like, 
oh, skate it off, walk it off, you're fine. You remember those, you just wanted to hit them? Mm-hmm. And why do we treat people differently? They get a psychological charley horse. Somebody's spouse loses a job or gets diagnosed with cancer. Psychological charley horse, emotional charley horse, whatever we want to call that. Why do we do the same thing that our coach used to do for the physical ones? Yeah, you know, it's kind of tough, but you should have seen what I had to go through on my drive into work. But like, really? And the expression I joke with people is it kind of makes us want to play bingo five under the eye. And it's not recommended as best practice, by the way. (laughs) But one of the things that we do, I don't know if your journey and I'm not asking, but I have seen people, my sister being one, go through a divorce and it was kind of E, all of the above. It was a physical Charlie horse. It was a moral Charlie horse. It was an emotional Charlie horse, relational Charlie horse. Telling her that life is better on the other side. How does that help? Yeah, and to your point, I feel like people do one of two things. They go, oh, you're going to be okay, move on. Or they ignore it or they give too much presence to the pain. Actually, and that's a great visual because that's where we often move people into counseling instead of calling it for what it is. And I see this all the time around grief work. Listen to the stupid, unhelpful cliches, one-liners that people say around the death of something. And that doesn't even count the death of a job, of finances, when somebody invests in something and it goes bankrupt. Look at the things that, well, I know how you feel. Oh, I'm sorry. You've been bankrupt before? Well, no. Okay. Well, then how do you know how I feel? Instead of, okay, that royally sucks. Like, I am not even going to pretend I know how to understand that. So what can I be for you to know that I'm here and I'm not going to try and fix, diagnose, but what can I be to help you stay in the game? And keep moving forward. And that was your point earlier about, okay, this is where we are. My visual that came to mind when you're in crisis, you want to jump forward to not being in crisis, but you're not able to make those big decisions. The visual that came to me is movies illustrate this really well when there's a car accident or a plane crash or something happens and you go into slow motion. Well, the reality is when you have those moments and people say like my life flashed before my eyes, your brain in those super traumatic moments really does slow things down and there's a purpose in it. And that purpose is so that you can really see all of the details and take it in and function on a different level than what you function on a daily basis. I think this is your point. If you can take that and move it into the function of every day of I'm not able to process and make good decisions to start moving toward a year from now, especially when we're in the storm and the boat is sinking. So what can I do? Which way can I steer? Which analogy, which sail needs to be up and which one needs to be down? Because that's all I can do right now. What crew needs to rest? What crew needs to go? And part of the premise behind a book that I wrote is in the river of life, there is the eddy effect and the bearing solution. And the only reason this is coming to mind is I just had this discussion this morning with a person. And he said, I actually totally get the eddy effect. And the eddy effect is just like in a river, we get into those eddies. But it's where our emotions steer our behaviors. 
which end up steering our thinking. And the result of that is usually thinking. And the bearing solution is start with the thinking, then behave according to that because emotions are responders. When we think and behave, emotions follow. And that is why to go to your work and some of my work is that is why the focus, the vision, those things, the values have to be clearly mapped out and defined because that is what our faith is based in so that we start thinking towards that. And what happens is absolutely, there might be those points in the river of life where we need to pull the boat up on shore and just catch our breath. Well, that's not a sin. That's not wrong. That's not evil. That's not bad. It's a reality of being human. And I don't know if it's just my world or what I'm, the people I hear and listen to, but it's almost like people have become in such a hurry that we've lost. And I think that's part of the benefit of COVID because I call them hot water tea bag moments. If you want to find out what's important to a person or an organization, put them in hot water. Just like a tea bag, what's inside always leaks out. And I'm not minimizing the stuff that people have gone through and are going through as a result of COVID. However, when I am in crisis and I come through the other end, the values that I went in with may not be the values I come out with. And part of why I love what MVP business is about and some of your the backstory business behind that podcast is... When people know what their focus is, when they know what their vision is, when they know their why, I may get injured, but if I'm playing a game I love, I will find a way to get back in the game. If I'm playing a game I don't enjoy, any injury will take me out. And it's important to know that and not to continue to force. So if you find that you have that injury and you don't want to keep going, what is it that is going to get you going again instead of letting yourself stay down or beating yourself up or saying like you're not moving as quickly as you were before? Like you mentioned COVID, we were all moving so quickly in sometimes blind directions. And then when we had to stop, a lot of people thought, and this is why the great resignation, a lot of people realized that they were moving quickly in a direction they didn't want to go. And so the teabag moment for them made them say, I want a complete change. I don't want to work for this company I don't believe in, or I don't want to live in this town that I live in or whatever it was and everybody's shifting. And now we're in this weird continual shift moment because it seems like everyone's trying to figure it out at the same time, but we think that we should be moving at the speed at which we moved before COVID. Most of us didn't like that speed. <laughs> and going back to that river analogy, one of the things that happens is when we're caught up in the current, it's really easy to think this is the way life is. When something happens that impacts the current or us in it, it creates an automatic reset. It's like a computer when it's not working. 99% of the problems can be fixed. Uh, sorry, that might be exaggeration. I'm not an IT person. But when we reboot the computer, it's fascinating the number of problems that go away. And what happens to people in crisis who are stressed, who are fear-based orientation, is it is always reactive and usually increasing speed. 
And just like the Mad Hatter out of Alice in Wonderland or the Magician off of Frosty the Snowman, they're busy, busy, busy. I'm late, 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 but they're not really sure where they're going. Nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. And so therefore, like the bumper sticker, one with the most toys wins. Wins what? And I mean, one of the things that I teach from is, is there any greater failure in life than to succeed in a way that does not matter in the long run to you? I mean, how many people, and I think it's fascinating because part of what's going on in our workplace today is younger people are not drinking the pension and benefits Kool-Aid. They're not, okay, well, I just put up with it and I'll stay with this job because there's pension, there's benefits. They're actually asking those hard questions to say, yeah, no, I don't want to work in this workplace. This isn't even unhealthy. This is toxic. I'm done. I quit. I'm out. And so people are being encouraged or challenged, whatever, to say, what really matters in the long run for you? Yeah. And to move forward in that. And to your point earlier, maybe you go through a change and that makes you realize that what you thought you were going after is not what you really want anymore. Because we all are constantly growing and changing. I have children that are young, not little bitty anymore, but I have the benefit of being able to watch them. And adults think that we stop growing and changing and we don't have phases anymore after like 18 to 21. But the reality of that is that we're constantly growing and changing. We do have phases that we go through. The whole midlife crisis thing is not just meant for the man with the Corvette and the (laughs) pretty young wife. It is something that we all go through. We just go through it in different ways and at different times based on whatever tragedy or life-changing event happens. But it's okay to change directions and to admit that you were heading quickly in the wrong direction even if that wrong direction looked like the right direction, like you said, even if that wrong direction got you the most toys, how do you feel now that you have all those toys? Are you in love and excited about life? Or are you looking at your toys with complete loneliness in your heart? There was a researcher at a research group out of the US, California, who actually described it as what's called the sudden wealth syndrome. And what they've discovered is people who increased in wealth and didn't have that joy, meaning, purpose, whatever, were actually more depressed and anxious than the people who didn't have the wealth. You and I were chatting briefly earlier. One of the things that we have to start reframing is change. When we grow, when we go, I call it grow through it. But when we go through change, when we look back on it, we call it growth almost always, whether it be forced or self-selected. When we go through change, we call that growth. And any living organism that is not growing is obviously doing something else. And if you're, what's the cliche or something, I can't remember. Get busy living or get busy dying. I can't remember. There was something about that. And so change for the sake of change is foolishness. Change towards a purpose is growth. And that's why that vision, those values, that focus... That's why it's so important, because that means who are the people in my boat with me? Who are the people that I can encourage? Life becomes a lot more intentional or focused and therefore purpose-driven. Yeah, and what you were saying earlier, what we were discussing is that we grow up thinking that we get the lesson than the test. 
But as adults, we get the test, then the lesson and the trouble that we get into and where the fear and anxiety can take over is when we have the test presented to us and we don't get the lesson. So we repeat it or we travel with that pain and keep it with us as opposed to saying, ah, ha, ha, that's why that was presented to me. How can I use that as a gift and move forward? One of the things that I said when I was younger, I think I was in high school, I was in drama and I'm still dramatic, but I said, I want to feel everything that this life has to give me. Like, I know that there's so much pain But I also know that there's so much joy. I know there's so much that this world can give. And now that I'm older, I'm like, gosh, did I really want that? Like, I'm feeling all these things and experiencing all these things. But the truth is, yes, because I can learn something from everyone and I can see the beauty and the humanity in it. I can see that the only way I'm able to experience and feel these things is if I'm alive and human. And and I say human, animals experience a lot of things as well, but the consciousness of it and if when I'm in the middle of the pain, I try and I do this with my clients as well to say, what if we looked at this as an opportunity? What if we looked at this as something beautiful? What if we looked at this as something, like you said, to look back on and say, wow, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to experience that and learn that lesson. Now I can be more empathetic with someone else. I can hopefully avoid that situation in the future. (laughs) And isn't that definition of insanity, of doing the same things over and over? But if I am not, if you are not, if we are not growing forward, we can start to feel like a punching bag for life. Because lessons aren't going to stop just because we've decided to stop growing. The only choice we have is, are we going to grow forward or is life going to punch us backwards? And what starts to happen when we start to do those things, we start to discover insights of, for example, I was working with one individual and one of the questions you mentioned about, is this an opportunity? Is there something we can learn from this? I actually start with the same kind of premise, but I ask, why does that bother you? What do you mean? And I challenge or encourage or force them, depending on the person, to explain to me why this bothers them. Because what happens is values are the only things that answer the why question, because values speak to our motivation. And when they start to share with me what bothers them about it, why this situation bothers them, And I think it was Mother Teresa who once said, North America has a far worse disease than anything she ever treats. And I remember Larry King was the guy doing the interview, but I remember him, what do you mean, worse disease? And her comment was so insightful. She said, North America has a disease of loneliness. The people I serve are not lonely. And if you look at some of the fallout over COVID and the tragic spinoff of busy, the byproduct is loneliness. And how do I offer, mention, and you will probably, because the little bit I've read about you and what we've spoken about, is part of the value that we add for people in the river of life is a private thinking partner. We're not interested in telling you what you should be, what you should do, and so on and so forth. However, 
we're not going to tell you your thinking is fine without asking the hard questions. And if you will, we love you enough to ask about what we're seeing. And people who don't want to grow get defensive. People who want to grow, who want to move forward, oh, jeepers, never thought of it that way. Hmm, what are you seeing? And all of a sudden we have this phenomenal discussion that never would have happened had life not put a stick in the spokes. So in that context of helping people thrive, of finishing well, of meaning and purpose, whatever I'm supposed to call this, rather than looking at crisis as something to avoid, I go back to the definition of crisis. And crisis originally was spelt with a K, so K-R-I-S-I-S. And it means the four things in its definition. But three of them are, it's unexpected, it's a threat to person's well-being, or it's a threat to our goals. But this the fourth one that I focus in on. It is that point where the status quo is no longer an option. What is crisis? It's an ESPN or TSN turning point in a game where we can no longer play the same way we were playing. It's not good or bad. It's just, yeah, the same thing that got us here will not take us to the new place, period. And that's where the benefit of slowing down and having that partner to talk through something with and the benefit of a coach. And Steph, I'm being rude to you right now. And my mom's voice is going off in my head and John, don't interrupt. But Steph, I will challenge your listeners right now to please hear what you just said. Please hear that. Please have that private, confidential, whatever you want to call it, thinking partner, because we are not objective about our own stories. Absolutely. And our friends aren't either. Our spouses, our business partners, everyone has their own perspective of your life when they're in it. And I think the thing that I love and one of the reasons why I have coaches and consultants don't even do it the same way, but the reason I love having coaches on this show is because the way that coaches think and ask is so much different than anything else, even than therapists and counselors, because they're not trying to dig in to solve a particular problem. It's really a way of asking and bringing something out in the people that we're talking to that helps to clarify, enlighten, and just bring a different way of thinking. Amen to that. I don't know what you're like, but my journey, I've had enough people who have done the, you know, John, which you should. <laughs> it's like, wow, thank you. Helpful. <laughs> Haven't thought of that one. <laughs> Haven't thought of that one. It's like if I'm drowning, somebody's saying swim harder. Wow. Thank you. I would never have thought of that, but appreciate the insight. Don't breathe in when you're underwater. <laughs> yeah. Don't breathe in. Yeah. And I even struggle with the term coach. Because one of the things that I've noticed over the last few years, with a little while, is sometimes people get into a profession so that we can help everybody else because our own journey is not going anywhere. When it's that, hold it, I'm not in coaching, consulting, speaking, whatever I'm supposed to call the work I do, because my life isn't working. I've learned, and like you and I were joking about the non-Hallmark story moments is, you know what? I don't want people to finish in a place they don't want to finish. I'm not interested in telling them what it should be, but 
I do care enough to ask those hard questions so that they finish well. Yeah. And I used to think before I had my own coach that a coach was there to kick somebody's butt, to hold them on task and to push them forward. And it wasn't until I got my own coach and maybe it's just the coach that I have as well, but it's also the types of coaches that I have on this show that I realized that the purpose of a coach is mostly to ask questions, to see the in-betweens of what you're saying and to ask the questions to get you thinking about things a little bit differently and moving forward toward what you have already shown are your passions and your vision and just kind of seeing where you're off, where you've taken maybe a different step than you thought that you wanted to or help you get off the ledge when you're really high up there. So you do a lot of reframing of crisis, but when your clients or the people that you're talking to are either past that or before that, how do you go about developing trustable leadership? Because that's a big part of what you do as well. You do a lot of the crisis reframing. And we know that when you're in leadership, you never know when that crisis is going to come around the corner. But hopefully we can mitigate that by being the trusted leaders and trustable leaders that our people expect us to be. A couple things on that, and you've already put your finger on one of them, is part of the story, if you will, as that trustable leader is twofold. It's qualities and qualifiers. Quite often, our culture society looks for people who are leadership, either by title or by education. So if you will, the letters after a person's name. In order to lead into a frontier, and I love what William Bridges calls it in Managing Transitions, but he talks about in order to lead into the promised land, leaders have to lead through transition. And that is a leadership style that is less positional, title-based, and more who one is. So therefore, one of the first and most important pieces is if the focus is trustable, respectable, followable, or likable. Because you mentioned children. My wife says she has four, but together we have three. One of the things that happens is, do I want to be likable or do I want to be trustable, respectable, followable? Those are very different defining moments that are revealed, always revealed, through change, growth, crisis. And one of the things, just as an aside, listeners, please remember the event is never the real crisis. You and I can go through the exact same event and I'm thinking, well, that was kind of ugly. Anyways, let's carry on. And the other person is still the deer in the headlights. When we talk about qualities and qualifiers is, am I authentic? So if you meet me at the post office, at the hockey rink, at the soccer pitch, football field, whatever, are you meeting the same persona caricature that you meet in the workplace? Or is John Batman's enemy Two-Face? Is John kind of a different person in those different environments? How does John treat? Best illustration I've heard of this is, it was a story, guy gets on the bus, pays the bus driver, the bus driver gives him too much change back, and the guy sits down at the back of the bus, and as he's getting off the bus, he comes up to the bus driver and he says, you gave me too much change when I paid for my ticket. And the bus driver looks at him and says, 
oh, I know I gave you too much change, but I heard you speak about integrity last week, and I just wanted to see if you walked the talk. And those defining moments as leaders, how do I treat the custodian? How do I treat the administrator? How do I treat those people who can't do anything for me? Authentic commitment. When I say something, can you count on it being done? Enthusiasm. And then, of course, service or servant or servanthood, whatever I'm supposed to call that. Sure, whatever it takes versus not my job. And when I was doing career counseling, helping people change jobs, as adults, it's called career counseling. With young people, it's called guidance counseling. But the principle is the same thing. I heard, and I don't know the employer, but I thought, what a phenomenal approach. So the CEO or CFO of the company would go into the waiting room and would dress like a person who'd been cutting and splitting firewood and would sit down and it didn't matter it was this person one was a female but it didn't matter male or female and they would sit down in the waiting room for people waiting for their interview and their interviewing process was how that person treated that person who had been dressed like not quite homeless but one a couple bars above it that was their interview because skills they could give so when we look at those qualities and qualifiers do I have credibility? Do I have chemistry? Do I have character? Or I love the old English term, Steph, it's called countenance. We would translate it as closure today, but countenance is that old, and Jim Collins quoted Admiral Stock, it's called a Stockdale Paradox, but says, it's a willingness to confront the brutal realities, but the belief that in the end we will prevail. And countenance is, yeah, you know what? This really sucks. In fact, I'm not even going to pretend I like anything about this. However, we will prevail in the end. We will get through this. Yes. And I think I'm going to pause right there again as another thing for listeners to think about as a leader. It's not only okay, it's important for you to say those things to your team to say, I understand where we are. I don't like it, but this is how we're going to get through it together. I'm going to work with you and we're going to do this together as opposed to panicking in the back room with the door closed. <laughs> and to your comment, like you pick the best person in the world if you have them as a quarterback. But if there's not people blocking for that person and running backs and receivers, doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. Your team's not going anywhere. And for those leaders listening, to be the MVP, a person actually has to understand that I'm only as good as the health as the rest of the other people on the field with me. And the whole team, too. That's one of the things that I think when I first started this business and this podcast was the reality that I wanted to communicate in all the different ways that every single member of your team, from your janitor to your packing and shipping department, everybody is just as important. And too many organizations put all of their emphasis on their sales and marketing team or just on their product development team. And they pick what area that they put all the value in when they don't realize that every single touch point they have internally and externally is what makes the difference over the long run. If your salesperson is a rock star, but everything else is a mess, you're going to be a mess. One organization I did some work with was car dealership and very successful. 
And everybody in the business world knows that we get sold once on price. After that, it's always service that sells the vehicle. And his administrator, I can't remember what they call the person who does the scheduling, but she would book all the service appointments and so on and so forth. She got a couple of Charlie horses, psychological, emotional, and some other stuff going on. And he and I got chatting and he said, I don't know what's going on with our workplace right now, but we're just, man, we are so tripping over each other. And it's like, yeah, I can tell you why, because she's not head in the game and you are only as good as she is scheduling. And he didn't say, I love you so much, John. Thank you so much for telling me that. It wasn't his first reaction, put it that way. And I said, so how are you going to honor her? Because your team's health is only as healthy as she is dealing with customers and scheduling. And since then, he's turned it around and she actually had a two-week holiday, even though she was off on sick time. She had a two-week holiday for her brother's wedding. And he said, go for it. See when you get back, we'll adapt. Guess what kind of motivated employee he has now? It's not an eight to four employee anymore. She's doing whatever she can to honor her workplace. Because he honored her. Because he honored her. What other kinds of practices do you recommend to your clients on a regular basis? And also in your book, what other practices, whether it be personal daily practices or system practices, do you recommend? So a couple things. First of all, the values are most important. And I know I keep banging on this, but we can talk about football. And until we really clarify what we mean, there's actually four footballs that we can be talking about. European, Australian, American, Canadian. Everybody's talking football, but nobody's going to play very well together. The second part is start asking those questions. Why should, why would somebody want to do business with us? Because it's great that I want to make money in my business, but if I can't answer why they would want to do business with me. And then third piece is how do we recognize, how do we appreciate, how do we value other people that are on the field at the same time? And that, for example, my wife is one of those people that if you were her boss, Steph, and you invited her to a rah-rah session and say, oh, we just really want to celebrate Carolyn, what a wonderful employee she is, and you brought her forward, you would actually demotivate her because she does not do anything that she does for any of that stuff. Like, literally, it would demotivate her. We also have a son that he would run up on stage before you were even finished. So it's hardwired in us. How do I like to be recognized and appreciated? So one of the things the listeners can be doing is start listening to people and ask. So if I was to show you how much I value you being part of this workplace, how would you feel appreciated? What would I need to do to show you appreciation? And part and parcel of that becomes how does the leader lead their way? And therefore, I as the quarterback, as the leader, have to define who I am as an individual. What are my values within the corporate context? And no, you're not going to be all things to all people. That's called a chameleon or a fraud. On the other hand, you may not like me, but man, oh man, you can trust me. You can respect me. And I've had people call and it's a compliment. It's how I feel appreciated and recognized. I've had people say, John, I never followed you up. You know, it's been five years, 10 years, but stop with the preamble. 
what's going on. And they start to share what's going on. And that's part of the reason I'm calling you, John, because I knew that you would call me out on all the excuses and just say, so what are we going to talk about? And who are those people that love us enough not to buy into reasoning and excuses? So for example, Steph, I'm going to turn this around and I know I haven't scripted or get asked for permission. So I'm going to do the forgiveness versus permission. I want you to think about an ideal client customer that you serve. Okay, no names, please. Got a mental picture of two or three? Mm -hmm. Tell me about qualities that you like serving and working with them. Don't think about anything else, but how would you describe to me what it is that you enjoy the why behind working with them? They're always appreciative and kind and open and honest, all of them. Okay. Do you see your first word you used? Mm-hmm. Appreciative. And most people, we live in a time of no problem, no big deal, no worries. But how often do we say things like, thank you? And appreciation is not some blank check written for bonus. Appreciation is the everyday simple little things. And they're honest. And that probably... I'm not getting into details, but they're probably not always saying, I love you so much, Steph. I really, (laughs) yeah. For those listeners not watching, she's shaking her head no. So it's like, and part of being honest is speaking the truth in love. It's not a critical, I'm going to throw you under the bus kind of honesty. That's just glorified judgment. Yeah, that's being in marketing and branding We're constantly, my designers are creating things from their heart and mind combined. And it really has been doing it for over 20 years. And more than 70% of my customers in that realm will automatically say, okay, change all these things and have it done for me in 24 hours and don't charge me too much. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So it's the 20 to 30% that say, oh, thank you for turning that around. This is a really good first pass. Make all these changes. And so just that in and of itself, when my team knows that they said thank you first, they could have a billion changes and need it in 15 minutes and they'll jump through all the hoops. So yes, the appreciation. And then the honesty to say, it's every relationship in the world. It's the hard conversations that make the biggest difference. And my coach says it like this, don't step over the hard things, but the hard conversations when they're had make the biggest difference to say, I hate this and I don't know why, (laughs) or whatever it might be. I feel really uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right. Or whatever it might be, being honest instead of letting it get too far. That's part of, and this is dark in a way, but that's part of why I love crisis work. Because if a person, listeners, think about this. If you have been through a crisis, a storm for you, you will know those people who have been honest in the storm, and they will be a whole different caliber of relationship after the storm. On the other hand, people that we thought would be there and bail, that relationship is forever impacted. And that's not being judgmental. It's just calling a spade a shovel. And one of the things that we have to do is, are we that kind of quality of person that 
when we are going through crisis, I love the way C.S. Lewis worded it. He said, those kinds of people are the ones who walk in when the rest of the world walks out and allow us to say, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. He worded it far better than that. That's just my trans. But what is a coach? It is somebody who is willing to walk in and have those conversations so that on the other side, we come through those refining moments with a whole different way of viewing things. Just as an aside, do you know the etymology of brand? Do you know where that comes from? Mm-hmm. Brand actually, and so I'm an old, I'm a Western novel guy. I love my Louis Lemours and so on and so forth. But a brand is something that a person puts on an animal. It's I recognize or identifier. Brand actually comes from the root word that we would say is character. Brand is that authority that comes from how we are recognized based on what is inside us. That is our brand. And so I think it was Sandra Bullock. Somebody did a movie in the U.S. and Mexico, I believe, but it was Crisis is Our Brand or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Because what happens is, like the hot water teabag moments, brand is how do I want people to define my character so that when they meet me, see me, it's, oh, that makes complete sense moments. Absolutely. That is all of brand. I'm I'm glad you're talking about that because when crisis comes up or when we're hiring or we're putting a product on the shelf, your brand is absolutely every bit of how people talk about you when you're not there. And that's personally and from a corporate or small business standpoint, it's how people imagine you and talk about you when you're not there anymore. And we need to wrap up pretty soon. But one of the things that is important in our self healing through crisis is looking at ourselves in the way that other people see and remember us instead of that critical voice that tends to cycle through when you're in the crisis moment the most to, again, slow that voice down and replace it with what you want to be hearing and saying and what people really are, like knowing fully, admit fully how they really do see you and feel about you and be willing to do the tough work to change if you need to, if it doesn't line up. Just because I want to honor your time and listeners' time. So the premise that I teach this from is from character to character. From C-H-A-R-A-C-T-O-R, actor, what a person is on stage, to character A-C-T-E-R, what a person is in the dark when nobody's watching. And the questions, and let's just put it on the table for your listeners, some coach questions. How do you want people to describe you in a non-physical way? Second question, how do people describe you, us, in a non-physical way? And then what do you want to do about the gap? And Steph, I just want to say I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. And I really do want to encourage your listeners to please get those people around you who are not telling you what you want to hear. But get the coach type person that says, what is your brand? How do you want people to describe you non-physically? Because that's what it means for you to thrive. And so, Steph, I truly appreciate the work you're doing and this kind of work. So kudos and thank you for the honor of being here. 
Thank you, John. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Tell us your website real quick so people can learn more about you. It's a simple, simple thing. Fort Log is the company. So Fort, safe place in the frontier. A log is a journal to sail the seas because there's no point going there alone. So fortlog.co. And it's .co because I work with people, colleague, coach, collaborator. I come alongside. So fortlog.co. And for landing page for right now is fortlog.co forward slash MVP business. But shoot me an email, john at fortlog.co or book a time. But either way, have that conversation. And so thank you, Steph. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing with us. And thank you for listening. If you liked it, tell your friends, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. The mission of MVP Business is to dig deep into the lives of true leaders so that others can follow, knowing that the path isn't always easy, but the journey is worth it. So enjoy the day and live with passion.